Welcome to PD Heart, Pediatric Cardiology Today. My name is Dr. Robert Pass, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm professor of pediatrics at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, where I'm also the chief of pediatric cardiology. Thank you so much for joining me for this 198th episode of the podcast. We're moving very rapidly up to our milestone 200th episode, and I must admit, I am shocked that we are here at this time, and I am so appreciative to all of you for listening. I hope everybody last week had an opportunity to listen to our conversation about imaging of the liver in the Fontan patient. We spoke with Assistant Professor of Pediatrics, Adam Lubert, of the University of Cincinnati about this very important topic. For those of you with an interest in the Fontan patient and particularly monitoring of the liver in the Fontan patient, I'd recommend you take a listen to last week's episode 197. As I say every week, If you'd like to get in touch with me, it's easy to remember my email. It's pdheart at gmail.com. This week, we move on to the world of cardiovascular surgery, and the title of the work we'll be reviewing is The Efficacy of Corticosteroids, NSAIDs, and Colchicine in the Treatment of Pediatric Postoperative Pericardial Effusion. The first author of this work is Nermidi Somani, and the senior author is Hans Brewer, And this work comes to us from the Department of Pediatric Cardiology, University Medical Center in Utrecht in the Netherlands. Once we're done reviewing this paper, Ms. Nermiti Somani, who was an undergraduate student at the time that she wrote this paper with Professor Brewer, has graciously agreed to speak with us all the way from Europe about this work. Therefore, let's move straight on to the article and then a conversation with its first author, presently first-year medical student in Poland, Nermiti Somani. This week's paper is a bit different from our usual in that it was written with the intention of being a review of a topic, and as such is not really high science, but I thought the topic interesting enough and important enough to warrant a brief review. And the topic is that of postoperative pericardial effusion, or postpericardiotomy syndrome, which is the development of a pericardial effusion following open-heart surgery. And the authors review the clinical signs of this, including shortness of breath, malaise, discomfort, or chest pain, including low blood pressure, tachycardia, fever, and other signs of low cardiac output. The most common ways to make this diagnosis would be either by echocardiogram or CT scan, and the literature suggests that the incidence of this complication is somewhere between 1 and 6%. The authors review for us how no one really knows precisely why this problem occurs, but the immune system has been implicated, and the authors explain that this has been suggested to be an immune reaction, wherein the immune system makes antibodies against self-antigens that are exposed when the pericardium is opened in surgery. The investigators then state that the fact that the very young and very old often do not get postpericardiotomy syndrome would jibe with the general theory as the immune systems of both cohorts are either not well-developed in the case of the very young or functioning particularly well in the extremes of age. The authors have a lovely table, Table 1, in which they review factors that have been suggested in prior works to be associated with an enhanced likelihood of developing a postoperative pericardial effusion or an effusion requiring hospitalization. And in this chart, we see that in children, the following have been implicated as causes or factors associated with the development of one of these effusions, and these include older age, increased CPAP duration, increased body surface area, use of cardiopulmonary bypass, Down syndrome, and then certain types of surgery, such as heart transplant, systemic to pulmonary artery shunts, and ASD closure. 
The authors then state that given the relatively high frequency of this problem, one would naturally imagine that there are many papers assessing efficacy of agents for the medical treatment of this problem, but surprisingly, they discovered that there are scant few. They explain that the most commonly used agents are aspirin, NSAIDs, corticosteroids, and colchicine, but there are very few studies comparing their efficacy to figure out which is best, and this is also true in the pediatric literature. And with this as a background, the authors sought to perform a systematic review to answer the question of which method of drug treatment is most effective for treating postpericardiotomy effusions in children following heart surgery. The authors reviewed their methodology, which was basically a very large systematic literature search in PubMed, and they review all of the so-called MESH terms that they used and the various combinations of terms to identify human studies in English of postoperative pericardial effusion, looking for studies that investigate the influence of drug-based treatment on outcome. The authors explain that though the initial attempt of this work was to limit it only to pediatric patient studies, the scarcity of literature on this topic in the pediatric world warranted including the adult literature. And on to the results. The authors explain how they excluded prophylactic drug trials for those non-humans, those not in English, case studies, and reviews, and also how they used the so-called Cochrane Risk of Bias tool to make sure that they did not have any biased studies in their review. And after all of these efforts, I think perhaps the most important aspect of this entire study was that there was only one pediatric and four adult studies that could be reviewed in the entire medical literature on the treatment of postpericardiotomy syndrome. And the authors mentioned that the single pediatric trial from Neil Wilson nearly 30 years ago was very small and also possibly biased. And so the first and perhaps most important finding here was that there is a true dearth of evidence to assess these agents for the treatment of postoperative pediatric pericardial effusion. The authors then break the studies down into the types of drugs that were studied. And up first in their discussion was corticosteroids, looking at the Wilson trial in which there were 21 total patients with a postoperative effusion enrolled randomly to receive either prednisone, which was given to 12 patients, versus the control group of 9 patients. During the study period, only acetaminophen was given and no other NSAIDs. The authors looked at 72 hours and one week to see if there was remission of the pericardial effusion and postpericardiotomy syndrome, and they showed that there was no difference in the two groups at 72 hours, those who received steroids and those who did not, but there was a small difference that was statistically significant at one week in the steroid group. But again, there were a grand total of 21 patients in this entire study. The authors then review the evidence of NSAIDs and explain that these are all adult studies. They review a study of NSAIDs by Hornifer et al., with 149 total patients enrolled, showing that at 48 hours after implementation of the therapy, there were many non-responders, and so the code was broken. But at this point, the number of patients who failed were greater in the placebo group, but when the group was then randomized again into ibuprofen or indomethacin for the duration of the trial, there was no observable difference. And so there were differences in those who received NSAIDs versus placebo. But which NSAID was best was not determined in this trial. Another study reviewed by the authors using the NSAID diclofenac showed no difference between it and placebo. But this study was hampered by the use of aspirin in many patients following bypass grafting 
thus potentially affecting the outcomes reported. Finally, in regards to colchicine, the authors referenced two adult cabbage studies showing no impact of this agent, but again, there were a lot of patients receiving aspirin, making it challenging to know if the presence of baseline aspirin impacted these outcomes. In their discussion, the authors state, and I quote, Current drug treatment options for postpericardiotomy effusion is extremely limited and based almost entirely on the findings of small-scale randomized controlled trials like those by Wilson et al. Moreover, the guidelines provided by relevant bodies like the European Society of Cardiology on how to treat PPE seem to be merely an expert opinion based purely on experience and not on scientific evidence. In fact, even the references provided by these guidelines for the use of anti-inflammatory therapy or colchicine in adjunct with aspirin or NSAIDs are studies that are not of very high quality or describe the efficacy of the drug in prophylaxis as opposed to the treatment of postpericardiotomy effusion. The authors then review how there are so few pediatric trials and how they were forced to include adult trials and how these really do not well reflect probably what we would see in the pediatric patient cohort because the patients in those studies are so much older and with very different immune systems and also because so many adult trials are affected in an unknown manner by the concomitant use of aspirin for patients who've undergone a cabbage. The authors wonder if the fact that studies in which patients receiving aspirin in addition to the NSAIDs or colchicine and had no observable impact may actually be indirect evidence for inflammation as an etiology for this problem. They mentioned that Wilson's study was the only one where no one got aspirin and there were in fact statistically significant differences in outcome in the steroid-treated patients. The investigators then review how difficult a study in children would be to perform given the low numbers of postpericardiotomy effusion seen and the fact that any agent is unlikely to be efficacious in all patients, meaning that a very large number of patients might be needed to prove efficacy. They wonder aloud if the absence of impact in patients receiving aspirin in some of the adult studies means that this is something that should be considered in the pediatric patient as a prophylaxis especially given the low-risk profile of these agents. They explain that this review was very important and that it has demonstrated how little literature exists on this topic and how important a randomized controlled trial would be to study efficacy of these agents, but also to study possible risk of side effects. And so they conclude, The results of this study make apparent the fact that very little is currently known about what is the best drug treatment for pediatric postoperative pericardial effusion, the inability to generalize the findings of adult literature to the pediatric setting further exacerbates the problem of the lack of pediatric evidence in support of any one drug treatment for PPE. Since postoperative pericardial effusion is a common postoperative complication with a possible impact on mortality, this severe lack of evidence must be rectified. There is an urgent need for good quality clinical trials to investigate and compare the efficacy of steroids, NSAIDs, and colchicine in treating postoperative pericardial effusion, a serious complication that modern medicine knows seriously little about. Well, I do think I agree with the authors that this was a very important small paper and that it shows us how little we really know about this topic. How often do you prescribe these agents? And yet now we all know that our decisions are largely based on anecdotes or very minimal data in the literature, or even on expert panels. I agree with the authors that a randomized controlled trial might be useful, but with limited resources to perform such trials, 
I do wonder if that would be the best use of resources. Even so, I do think the authors make a fairly good argument that this is certainly something that should be considered. I wonder, too, if there might be a way to use big data analysis to go back into some of the large data sets that we have to see if there were some way to tease out the answer to this question. At this point, I think we'll move on to our conversation with the first author of this work, Nirmidi Somani. Joining us now to discuss this work is Nirmidi Somani. Ms. Somani, who is originally from India, was a college student at the University of Utrecht when she worked on this project as part of her bachelor's degree thesis. She is presently a medical student at Poland's Boznan University of Medical Sciences, where she has four long years left. It's a great pleasure to speak with her all the way from Poland today. Welcome, Ms. Samani. I'm here now with Nermidi Samani. Ms. Samani, thank you so much for joining us this week on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. Really pleasure to have you and exciting to have a medical student on the podcast. Most of our guests are a little further along in their training, so you are well ahead of the game, as it were. <laughs> uh, congratulations to you and uh, Dr. Brewer on a wonderful paper, very interesting review of the topic. I thought that one of the most important findings of your work was that there were so few studies in the literature on this topic that were adequate quality to draw any important conclusions. Were you and Dr. Brewer surprised by the dearth of pediatric trials in this arena? Uh, So interestingly enough, when we initially started the review process, we actually went into it with a much more focused question. Um, And we wanted to investigate what the best drug of choice would be to treat postoperative pericardial effusion, or PPE, in children following ASD repair surgery specifically. Hmm. Uh, But there was absolutely no data on the subject. Um, So we decided to broaden the question to pediatric cardiac surgeries in general. Hmm. Uh, And yet again, there were essentially no results except for the one paper that we did end up including in our review. Hmm. And finally, we had to broaden our search to include adult data as well and really hope that we would be able to generalize the findings to the pediatric group. I mean, the very fact that we had to do this already says a lot about how little data there is out there to support the various drug therapies that are currently being used to treat PPE. And of course, this huge gap in literature really took us by surprise. Yeah, that's quite something. Started from wanting to do a pediatric study about ASD PPE management, ended up with just a review of all of uh, medicine's treatment of PPE for all cardiac surgery. Very interesting. And I guess that probably was your first hint that there wasn't a whole lot out there. Um, I'm wondering if you could comment on the use of aspirin in many of the trials and what role that may have played on the outcomes that were reported. Um, so this was a rather serendipitous finding, actually, uh, in the sense that the initial conclusion, you know, was just that, okay, so there seems to be no consensus on what the best drug of choice is to treat PPE, simply because of a sheer lack of data. But then I noticed something a little strange about some of the study designs while putting together the outline for my results section. And it turns out that the studies that did not control for NSAID use, whether that was for anti-clotting purposes or pain management in both the study groups, those were the ones that, in fact, did not turn up any significant results in support of the drug that they were testing. Uh, And actually, two of the studies, including, interestingly enough, our one pediatric study by Wilson et al., which was looking into the use of prednisone to treat PPE, those actually did control for NSAID use in the study groups. Mm. And those were also the only studies included in our review that found significant results for the drug they were testing. Mm. And this felt to me like it was more than just coincidence. And so when I discussed it with my co-author, who was also my thesis supervisor at the time, he agreed that perhaps the NSAIDs played a confounding role in the studies that did not control for them. And that is what first led us to believe that maybe NSAIDs can be used as prophylaxis for PPE. 
I see. Very interesting. You know, reading due to your reading of the literature, do you believe there may be a role for aspirin as a prophylactic agent in most children who undergo open heart surgery? And if so, uh, who would you consider to be the best candidates for this sort of approach? Right. So, like I said, there does seem to be some indication in the studies uh, that maybe NSAIDs could be a viable option for PPE prophylaxis, but you would need to conduct a study to confirm this. Uh, You could, for example, conduct a study comparing two groups, one of which is given prophylactic NSAIDs and the other is not. But the problem with such a study, though, is that because of the relatively low incidence of PPE, you would really need high numbers needed to to achieve significant results. So, if you were to go ahead and conduct such a study, it would probably be a good idea to include high-risk groups, like patients who have undergone ASD repair surgery. The only caveat here, though, is that ASD patients tend to present with rather late-onset PPE, so you would also need to consider the side effects of prolonged NSAID use, like, for example, gastric side effects. Yeah, yeah, very good point. You know, in your discussion, Ms. Samani, uh, you offer a crossover study suggestion for just what you were saying, a randomized controlled trial. Can you explain to the audience some of what you were suggesting uh, who haven't had the opportunity yet to read the paper and why you believe that this may be preferred to a a placebo-controlled trial for this particular question? Right. So the idea was really just to make some suggestions to deal with the gap in literature that this review uncovered. And really, there are a lot of study designs that could deal very efficiently with this problem, like a randomized control trial comparing treatment with NSAIDs with that using prednisone, for example. And actually, my co-author is currently awaiting a decision on a national grant proposal for just such a study. Hmm. Now, you could, of course, just as well do a crossover trial or a trial investigating the prophylactic use of NSAIDs for PPE. And every study design has its strengths and flaws. But the major issue with a crossover trial is that you need to have what is called a washout period, during which the participants of the two groups are weaned off their initial drug treatments before treatment with the next one is started. And the problem is that this is really tricky to do with PPE patients. The reason for that is actually the same reason why it would be unwise to do a placebo control study simply because if we are not treating the PPE, the patient's health can really deteriorate very quickly and they may require emergency procedures like a pericardiosynthesis. And that just does not seem ethical. You can actually see this in the Hornepper et al. study included in the review. They had to break their drug code and change their study design midway because the patients who were treated with placebo required urgent intervention. Yes. Yeah, this is not a a problem to trifle with here (laughs) because of the potential (laughs) risk. Well, uh, for those in the audience, it's uh, fairly late in the day in Poland where Ms. Samani is speaking to us as a medical student. So I'm going to finish off with this last question. You know, though you are now a medical student and were a college student when you wrote uh, this paper, I'm wondering if you could share with us the approach that Professor Brewer and the team in Utrecht use when they have a patient who presents with an effusion following open-heart surgery? So from what I understand, it all really depends on the severity of the PPE that the patient presents with. So if the patient has a pericardial effusion and shows no clinical signs and only maximally one sign of a hemodynamically relevant pericardial effusion on the echocardiography, you would closely monitor the patient. Now, if they present with no clinical signs and multiple signs of a hemodynamically relevant pericardial effusion on the echo, you would then start treatment with, in fact, a rather high dose of prednisone, something mm-hmm. like two milligrams per kilograms per day, administered twice daily. And then once the effusion is, is resolved, the dosage is carefully tapered off in about 10 days. 
And finally, if the patient presents with clinical and echocardiographic signs of a cardiac tamponade, that's when you would conduct a pericardiosynthesis. I see. So in other words, they're not really using NSAIDs so much. Uh, they're going with uh, Neil Wilson's data that steroids seem to be very effective. That's true. Actually, from uh, what Dr. Brewer explained to me, um, it seems that the current consensus is that prednisone might actually be superior to NSAIDs in terms of treatment. But the problem is that prednisone, especially with prolonged use, has far worse side effects than NSAIDs, uh, hence his current study proposal. I see. Trying to prove that NSAIDs are at least as good or maybe even better than steroids, I guess. I think they're trying to prove that prednisone is better. But I guess it'll, it'll depend on the funding and what the study finally turns up. And I guess yes, I guess it'll. Be, that's why you do the study in the first place, I suppose. <laughs> so, well, uh, Ms. Samani, I can't thank you enough uh, for those in the audience. Uh, prior to this interview, Ms. Samani told me that her goal was to one day be a cardiac surgeon. How exciting that we were able to catch you at the very start of what is likely to be a very big career. I'm very appreciative to you for making time to speak with us this week about the po- about the paper, and I'd like to thank you so much for taking time and congratulate you for uh, a wonderful work. Of course. Thank you so much. And if I may really quickly, I would like to just take the opportunity to thank my supervisor and co-author, Dr. Hans Breuer, because I know he is an avid listener of your podcast, and he really is the one who made all of this possible. And of course, a big thank you to you for having me on your podcast today. It really has been an honor. And it is our great pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, I think once again we've learned how much we can look to the future with optimism. How wonderful it was to hear a medical student speak so knowledgeably about a topic that is really pretty complicated. Truly a testament to Ms. Samani and also to Professor Brewer who helped prep her for our brief interview this week. She shared with us a number of thoughts about why some of the trials she reviewed were likely not optimal with a particular attention to the lack of control of NSAIDs in studies and how that may have swayed the results of prior works. When I think about how little I knew as a medical student, I'm astounded to meet with one who's so knowledgeable and thoughtful, and I'm sure that this will not be the last time we hear from Ms. Samani, and I'm surely looking forward to hearing of her career as a cardiac surgeon one day. I'd like to thank her and Dr. Brewer for their help with the podcast this week. To conclude the 198th episode of PD Heart Pediatric Cardiology today, we hear the beautiful and famous Schubert lead, On Sylvia, which begins with the words, Who is Sylvia? What is she that all our swains commend her? Holy, fair, and wise is she, the heaven such grace did lend her. Today we hear the wonderful Egyptian soprano Fatma Said, who has been rapidly raising her visibility in the opera world with many wonderful performances throughout Europe as well as the Americas. Thank you so much for joining us for this 198th episode of the podcast, and thanks once again to Ms. Somani. I hope all have a wonderful week ahead.
Yeah. 